All right, hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to Dad Travel. Um, sorry for delay of, of the next episode. Uh, I believe I told you all in the introduction, but I am a high school coach and a teacher, and I coached baseball, and so baseball was just getting to the, to, to the end of the season and getting, getting those last few games knocked out. And then also our football program, which I coach football too, is, uh, is currently second week of spring practice. So very, very little free time has been had by me. So, um, but what to expect this episode, this may be one of my f- more favorite episodes, if not my favorite episode that I'm ever going to talk about. Uh, so this episode, we're going to talk about a guy's trip to Ireland. On episode two, we talked about Barcelona and about how me and my wife and my daughter took a trip with our friends, the Yuhas, to Barcelona. Well, that trip was really just uh, a precursor of the guys' trip. Uh, we'd had this guys' trip figured out for several years. It had actually sort of been a pact that we had with our wives. And uh, it's all based off of a book that I read about this man named Tom Coyne, um, who worked for Men's Health and a few other publications, and Irish-American uh, from Philadelphia. And he wanted to go do something that nobody else had done previously. And so his, um, his father took him golfing in Ireland when he was 16, and they did sort of the private tour and went all over the, uh, uh, went all over the country, you know, trying the links and everything else. And, and I found a book that he wrote called, A Course Called Ireland. And this is, um, this is a book that was sort of the catalyst for everything that happened, not only with the Barcelona trip, but with the Ireland trip. Um, So he decides in this book that he's not only going to go play all these courses and all these, not just courses, but links courses throughout Ireland, that what he's going to do is he's going to walk to them and then walk the course themselves. And so he spends months researching this, uh, researching all the courses he wants to go to, the best, uh, the best way of doing it the best path. He had to map all this out. And this is really pre-Google. Um, so it's a little hard for him to go and make reservations. I mean, he was calling people, faxing people, everything else. And so the book is called A Course Called Ireland, A Long Walk in Search of a Country, a Pint, and the Next Tea. And this may be my favorite sports book ever. Um, if, if you're into sports, especially golf, and you don't read this, become inspired, um, you may need to check your heartbeat. This book was just amazing from him talking about landing at the Shannon Airport and sort of going over through West Ireland um, and then going up into Northern Ireland, going to these you know, major golf courses, going to these golf courses that really very few people had ever heard of outside of Ireland themselves, was just absolutely insane. And so, um, and throughout the journey, he, he has people come on and actually walk it with him. So, uh, so it's not even that he's necessarily doing it alone by himself the entire time. And, um, and really the only time he ever used transportation once he arrived was if he was going to have an issue making his next reservation. And so there was a couple times where I think he took a ferry, took a taxi, or took a car. But very, very, very few. So four and a half months, five months, give or take. He walked the entire perimeter of Ireland for the most part. And... One of my favorite things is in the book at the end, he actually keeps track of the golf balls he lost, the scores at all the, um, at, at all the courses, um, how many pints he drank. He keeps track of what his five-star pubs were, his five-star hotels and 
bed and breakfast, his most cost-effective golf courses he would go back to, the golf courses he would go back to if he, uh, if money was no uh, object at all. And so he breaks all this down and then just the, the poetic uh, way that he put all the, uh, all the different parts of the trip together was just absolutely insane. So after reading this, somehow I convinced my wife to let me do this, to not necessarily do a walking trip of Ireland, because that would be insane to do, um, especially with what little vacation we have, but to do a guy's trip to Ireland. And so this was back probably 2007, 2008, maybe a little bit later, that I read this book. And so the plan was we were going to do this on my 30th birthday. Well, we moved back to Arkansas, 30th birthday came and gone. Our friends moved uh, out of Texas as well. And so it ends up getting pushed back to our 10-year wedding anniversary, me and my wife. So we're 32 now. And this trip may be my favorite trip I've ever taken. It, it was absolutely amazing. Uh, me and my friend Eric, um, we had some of the basic reservations done. But from there, we really just left it up to ourselves about where are we going to go? What are we going to do? Where are we going to go play? And so at the end of the Barcelona trip, the women and kids, they flew home. So we actually got to go with them to the airport, uh, see them onto their flight. And, um, and then me and Eric go on our, our own, own way and uh, go on to Ireland. So, you know, it all started out with one of the most amazing things about flying within Europe is there's so many cheap airlines. So we got a Ryan Air flight a uh, couple months in advance. I think we paid 60, 60 to 80 US dollars for a one-way ticket. And so we flew to Dublin, uh, which was the cheapest route from Barcelona. And, uh, and then from Dublin, we decided to go straight to the opposite side of the island to, uh, to Galway. So we took a train there. We were able to get a taxi driver from, from the, the airport in Dublin to, uh, to take us there and then uh, um, take us to the train so we could catch the train. Um, we also found you know, the best way for us to, to have clubs throughout our trip, because we knew we were going to play at least three rounds of golf in seven days, may, maybe more, was uh, instead of renting them out at the local courses, um, we found a company called clubstohire.com. And what they do, and they have it international, they have it domestic here in the U.S., what they do is they actually will have clubs waiting for you at various airports throughout the world. And so what we did is we rented clubs. I want to say it was $50 or 50 euros for the week. And they were all name brand clubs, uh, you know, drivers, fairway woods, hybrids, irons, wedges, putter, the whole nine, and, and very, very nice clubs at that. And again, rented for about 50 euros for the whole week instead of having to pay that per course that we went to. And they were waiting for us at the Dublin airport. We found the guy pretty easily. And, uh, and from there, we were just on our way. And so um, we spent half our trip in Galway and played some golf around there. And we, then we spent the other half uh, in, in the Dublin area. We, we wanted to go a few other places, but one of the things that, that me and Eric both enjoy is instead of just seeing a little bit of multiple places, we'd rather see a whole lot more of a few places. And so we were really able to experience Galway, really able to experience uh, Dublin and, um, and the little peninsula of, uh, and I'll probably but butcher the name, but Howth or Oth, H-O-W-T-H, just right outside of Dublin there. Um, and we're able to make some friends and have some experiences that 
you really can't plan for this type of stuff to happen. You know, that's one of the things that I think some people try to do too much is they try to schedule out, try to make this itinerary that is going to, you know, create this major experience for them. When in actuality, sometimes the best thing to do is just to sort of see what happens. If you, if you schedule something out, you have to be there. Well, if I wake up, you know, the second day of the trip, me and Eric, and we were walking into town and the, you know, the rain comes down and we just don't want to go out and play golf. But then we see, you know, a pub down, down the street that is just packed to the gills of people. And we hear music and we hear laughter and all this, you know, why not, you know, change our plans or, or not even have plans at all and just, you know, play it on a moment to moment basis. And so, and we did that throughout the trip and, and it was one of the best things. Um, you know, some of the highlights besides the golf, which the golf was amazing, uh, if you if you've never golfed in Britain, uh, you're sort of asking to be sort of brought down and you know asking for your ego to sort of be squashed due to the wind and rain and everything else. But uh, um, some of the highlights were um, the pub life in Galway. Uh, that place may have the most amazing people uh, generally and uh, the best nightlife and just best just go into a place, sit down, have a drink, and sort of listen and see everyone and everything around you uh, to then even go into the little peninsula outside of Dublin and uh, the people that we were renting an uh, Airbnb from they owned several restaurants there and they actually had a going away party for one of their employees and we got invited to it and they fed us and they they plied us full of uh, full of pints and we just had a blast and and they were the, the Irish hospitality, no matter where we were at, was insane. Whether it was, you know, people pulling over as we're walking down the road with our golf clubs in the rain to offer us a ride or uh, in, uh, in house being able to um, actually be taken up to our Airbnb by the owner's sister because the little peninsula there is extremely, extremely mountainous and it would have been probably an hour walk from the train station all the way up to the building. Um, and so just things like that, that just happened along the way that really just made this trip. And so in the following segments, I'm going to sort of break it down to, you know, um, our experience at the airport as we're leaving Barcelona, arriving in Dublin, uh, our trip out to Galway, our time in Galway, the pub life. I'll definitely have a segment on the pub life and in Galway, especially the Crane Bar, which if you guys go to Galway, please, please, please go to Crane Bar. And, uh, and then our time back in Dublin and, and going to places such as uh, um, Jameson Distillery and the Guinness Brew House, which, you know, those two are, you know, on any drinker's uh, agenda. So, so uh, stay tuned. Listen to the segments. Please let me know what y'all think. Uh, the, the podcast is currently on Pocket Cast. It's on uh, iTunes. Uh, obviously, it's on Anchor app. So I look forward to, to putting more of these out. And so the rest of the Ireland ones, I, I'm going to probably record in the next probably day or two. I still have football going on. So I've got I've to get home and showered and, and play with the kids and eat dinner. And then I'll make all the rest. So look forward to letting y'all listen to more. Adios. All right, so on to Dublin. So um, again, in the last part, I told y'all about how we wanted to see our ladies off um, on their flight from Barcelona back home. So we let 
them go first. We booked our, our flights with a later departure time and uh, saw them off. And, and after we departed from the ladies, Eric and I had a little bit of time to kill and our cheap Ryanair flight, you know, was, was you know, still a few hours away. So, you know, what did we obviously do? We went to the bar. Uh, we spent our time listening to um, comedy sets of Bill Burr. We uh, drank some Estrella Dom, Limon Shandies, and then also they had a McDonald's not far away from our gate. And so we went there and, and uh, had some McDonald's, which if you never had the chance of eating fast food, you know, American fast food, especially abroad, I highly suggest it. Um, you know, especially McDonald's, just because McDonald's is such a big brand worldwide, and and each country, little bit by little bit, is different uh, with the food they serve. So, uh, you know, did you know that that they actually have a European version of the McRib? And in, in Spain, you know, pork is so popular, and pork is normally fairly cheap because there's, I mean, there's so many pigs raised that the McRib. Every time I've been in a McDonald's in Spain, I've always seen the McRib on the menu. So. Um, our flight ended up getting delayed, so we had a few more beers, uh, and we actually ended up chatting up uh, another American who was on the flight, and come to find out later, which this was extremely bizarre, and it sort of gives you an idea of, of just how small Ireland is at, of an island. You know, we were flying into Dublin, and in the tail end of our trip, we end up staying right outside of Dublin. Well, come to find out, some of the people that uh, worked in the restaurants of the uh, Airbnb owner that that we uh, rented our apartment from, um, some of his employees were actually on that same flight and they actually remember us from the flight. So once we landed in Dublin, that's where the real fun began. Um, so less than a two hour flight from Barcelona to Dublin, we uh, picked up our luggage. Uh, we also had to go meet our clubs to hire rep. So clubs to hire again is the uh, golf clubs service, you know, instead of, you know, renting clubs from a, uh, from each individual course or bringing our own clubs. And, you know, we would have had to lug them all throughout Barcelona. Um, we decided to go with clubs to hire, which they again, met us at the airport and brought us our sets that we rented for about 45, 50 euros per the entire week. And so each of us had a set with either tailor-made or Titleist woods, irons, wedges, and we each had an Odyssey putter too. Uh, obviously, we, we had a golf club bag. Um, we met him near where the taxis were, and after that, we got a taxi. Unfortunately, though, Dublin is not like London and various other European cities where in their main airports, they have access very, very easily uh, to a train station. So we actually had to take this cab, and we had to go from the airport all the way to Dublin-Houston Station. Our cabbie, though, was you know, just what you would think of, you know, an Irishman to be. He was loud. He was talkative. He was hilarious. He was chatting us up, telling us jokes. And so that, that itself was, you know, a great experience right off the bat for us to have. Now, once at the station, we purchased a multi-trip ticket where we could travel, uh, pretty much unlimited for five days within Ireland, because uh, we didn't have our itinerary set in stone and we wanted flexibility to go wherever we wanted to. Now, looking back, that probably wasn't the best option for us to do just because we only went two destinations. We went to Galway and we went back to Dublin. Um, it probably would have been cheaper for us to buy just one-way tickets each way. But again, we, we didn't really know where we were going. We talked about going down to Cork, uh, um, maybe the Ring of Kerry, and just, you know, we decided to stay on this one track. Uh, then all we had to do, you know, was sit back and enjoy. Um, we had a three-hour train ride to Galway, 
we had junk food. There was some, uh, some, some fast food places there, uh, at the train station. So, uh, we were able to get some curry fries that were absolutely delicious. We had some tea to sort of give us some caffeine cause we were dragging a little bit. And then, uh, you know, of course I had to have the customary Guinness on the ride over too. So, um, and on the train, we also had, uh, again, uh, one of our first examples of Irish hospitality, uh, excuse me, Irish hospitality. Uh, when some of the other passengers struck up a conversation with us, they, uh, they saw our golf clubs and were asking about our trip. And then, you know, obviously they sensed we were a, a, a American pretty easily and started asking about American politics and everything else. And I tell you this, the vast majority of people from Europe know way more about our country than we know about theirs. And, um, so we landed in Galway, you know, we arrived at their train station, which I would try to pronounce it, but obviously, um, Ireland has some very, very tough Gaelic pronunciation, so I'm not even going to try. Um, but we had our first good Irish trek or our first good Irish walk to our Airbnb rental. It was about a mile or so away from the train station. So we had, um, our Osprey backpacks, which, you know, I'll talk more about travel luggage and what I prefer and what I suggest in, in a later episode. Um, but we had each bought, I'd bought a 55 liter Osprey backpack, uh, with a 40 liter section as the main compartment with a 15 liter sort of uh, little mini backpack. And my friend Eric, he bought the 70. So it's the same type thing, but his main pack is a 55 instead of a 40. And we had those. And we had our golf clubs, and so we had to walk the entire trip. And I, I, I want to say, if memory serves me correct, it was a little drizzly on the way there, but not not too bad. And after the you know the Airbnb debacle that we had in Barcelona, we really didn't know what to expect here. Um, you know, after pretty much getting shut out of every Airbnb option that we had in Barcelona, we were hoping we'd have a good accommodations here, and we did. Our apartment rental was no frills, but it was. Ex- everything we needed. All right. Nothing more, you know, two bedroom, one bath. Um, it was a little bit away from the the city center. Um, so it forced us to walk a little bit every day, which I I honestly liked, you know, obviously on the days where the weather was horrible, you know, it was a little bit less enjoyable. Um, but it also, it made it to where the nightlife of Galway, which Galway is, is, is known for having an outstanding nightlife. Um, lots of traditional music bars and pubs and everything else. And, and because uh, Galway is pretty much the cultural epicenter of Ireland, uh, and, and as they say, the crack is ninety. Crack. If you don't, if you don't know that word, look it up. It's spelled C R A I C, um, and that's a very, very awesome phrase. And so Galway, it's positioned on the western coast. Um, it's a great home base for those wanting to explore other areas of that part of Ireland. So you have the uh, uh, the Aran Islands that aren't too far away. They're very, very close. You have the Cliffs of Moher. You have the Wild Atlantic Way. Um, you have Connemara. Uh, you, you know, again, you can even fly in to the Shannon Airport, uh, which is, I want to say, down by Limerick, and you can uh, um, use that as a base too. Now, back to Galway. So, one thing about Galway is, is you know, the weather's not always nice. The Western Coast can be a, a little harsh. You know, hence. You know, the pathway up the Atlantic coast is called the wild Atlantic way. It's not just wild due to terrain and, and everything else, but the weather itself. So the weather was very rainy and dreary in June, but we knew that we were going to be golfing. So we came very, very, very prepared. We each had golf rain suits and these, especially in Galway became pretty much our go-to 
clothing, no matter where we're going. We're going to the pub, going shopping, going to dinner, going golfing, whatever it was. So there was one day when we were walking to the city center from our apartment, and it was horizontal blowing drizzle coming from the Atlantic, coming off the bay. By the time we went to the pub, sat down, had our drinks, our front, so the front of our clothes was completely drenched, you know, complete different color, and our backs had not received a drop of rain. Um, I mean, we, we literally could have laid down on toilet paper and toilet paper wouldn't have stuck to, the, to our backs because it, we were that dry. The front, though, is a complete different story. Um, but Galway, again, you know, it is, it is the cultural epicenter. It is where the crack is, 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 is 90. It is mighty at all times. And, you know, some of that's the pubs. You know, some of that also is the street musicians. This is a big musical um, area. And so you will walk down any time of day. You know, obviously at night they're going to be you know a little bit more active, but any time of day you're going to see street musicians playing. Um, there were many that were talented, and uh, and I think if memory serves me correct, uh, after one night at the pubs, I believe I even joined in with a group of lads, uh, all of us arm in arm, uh, to sing Wonderwall by one of the uh, street performers who was singing it there. And uh, the pubs, oh my good lord, the pubs there. This place had the most amazing drinking establishments um, of any that that we went to. Uh, you know, it wasn't even close between Galway and, and Dublin, uh, or around Dublin. The places where we went, we tried to visit as many as we possibly could in our three day stay in Galway. We visited the front door. We visited uh, Monroe's. The first night we we visited uh, Garvin's. Uh, we also visited one and. Uh, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, so I'm just going to spell it out. T-I-G-H. I expect that's pronounced Thai. All right. N-E-A-C-H-T-A-N-N-E-A-C-H-T-A-I-N. Neekton, maybe. All right. Again, I'm probably butchering that. We visited the King's Head. We visited the Quays. Again, we went to many others, and so those are just the ones that I can remember. But our first night, we did go to Garavan's. Um, and heard the band playing Galway Girl, which is one of my favorite songs ever. So the fact we were able to hear that, and not only hear that, but hear it the first night was awesome. But without a doubt, the best was the Crane Bar. And I'll have a whole another segment just discussing the Crane Bar and, uh, and how wonderful it was. But this is one that the locals had told us uh, served the best pint of Guinness in town, which, you know, that's sort of, that's sort of how, uh, how locals and the like rate the bars you know which one serves the best pint um all right again you know an entire post an entire segment of this podcast will be just over the crane bar to to better describe the experience because it was mighty uh food wise though we did not have a bad meal at all in galway um the city didn't have really a lot of places you know within walking distance of us um for breakfast so pretty much every single day we went to a fast food food court called supermax um, the food was so good that I actually ended up following them on Facebook and Twitter and a bunch of different places. And so there was a few different options every morning for us to eat. We tended to visit the sandwich shop more often than the others. The best two meals we had, though, um, overall in Galway was the front door pub. We had roasted lamb and mashed uh, potatoes, and it was outstanding. Uh, mashed potatoes had an awesome brown gravy on top, absolutely delicious. And then we had pizza from Pizza and Pasta Napoli. Um, and it was our sort of go-to late night food and people were going in and out constantly had a few tables outside to, to eat at. Um, and if I remember correctly, 
all the worker that all the workers there were Croatian or Czech and uh, were just popping out pizzas left and right. They were outstanding. But honorable mention goes to the Pie Maker, which is a very well known little pie restaurant there where they serve savory and sweet pies. Concerning golf, Galway was our first location, obviously, for golfing. We ended up with tea times at, uh, I want to say it's pronounced Bjarna Golf Club, which is a parkland course, but it overlooks Galway Bay. So a parkland course, for those of y'all that don't know much about golf, you know, courses are broken down into two categories. There's the Lynx courses, which are the courses that are pretty much, you know, on the coastline, right? Though here in the U.S., People call anything a Lynx course. It could be on a river. Heck, it could be with very little water whatsoever. Um, and then parkland courses. Parkland courses are what we typically have here in the States. They're, they're courses that are in the middle of the country, all right? courses that aren't on the coastline. And so uh, we played this parkland course, uh, and it's pretty much carved out of granite peat bog, gorse, heather. It was a very intriguing sort of layout. I mean, you literally had to follow the route that the, that the holes took you. Otherwise, uh, you couldn't get from point A to point B. Um, I mean, literally, the, the, this was a bog that they converted into a golf course. That's the best, best way to put it. You know, peat is what they use to, to, uh, to smoke their malt and everything else for whiskey. And, and, and so this is an old peat bog. Uh, if you get off the the path and try to make your own path, you're going to run into freaking, uh, stickers and thorns and gorse. That's going to, you know, stab you in the legs. And we, uh, we had that issue happen to us in our first hole. I think I shrinked mine right. And, uh, thought I could, you know, sort of get through the little underbrush and, and get to the fairway. And that was without a doubt, not the case, but, uh, but we had an amazing time, you know, even though our rain gear was used quite often that day, uh, we were one of the only few people on the golf course that day i believe behind us was or no in front of us was uh, a couple from switzerland or austria i believe switzerland um but i myself had my best hole the entire trip there we were on the eighth hole it was uh, it was 168 yards but we had about 35 to 45 mile an hour winds coming into our face and, you know and, and i'm by far not the best golfer at all but uh but I decided with that much of a win, I was going to use my three hybrid just to try to get it to the green because the wind was just outrageous. And I ended up birding that hole. Uh, you know, the Swiss tourists that were playing in front of us, they were actually uh, letting us play through. And so not only did I hit it, but I had m more witnesses than just my buddy. And um, so I hit it within 10 feet of the green and, or 10 feet of the hole. Sorry. And, uh, and then birdied it with a 10 foot putt. Putt, and it was uh, it was my favorite golfing moment of the entire time. Which, you know, there wasn't a whole bunch of really really good golfing moments uh, throughout the t entire trip, but that was one of them. So the Crane Bar. All right, to rate this, the Crane Bar is by far the best pub, best bar I've ever been to whether it's domestic or international, this place was outstanding. So this is a place that, you know, they don't try to put a front on for the tourists. You know, they're not going to set out a whole bunch of signs trying to get the tourists to come in. You know, this is one, this is a locals place. This is where the locals go and the locals love this place. It's also a place known for traditional music there. Um, and we were able to have some pretty outstanding experiences with that that I'll get into later. But, uh, but the, 
I, I personally knew the crane bar was something different from the moment we saw it. Um, it's a little way from, or it's a little farther from the normal haunts of tourists. You have to go, uh, you have to go across a bridge or two to get there. It's not sort of in, you know, the downtown little, you know, small, um, center where most of the pubs and restaurants that all the tourists hit up are. Um, so it's not pretentious. It's not upscale. In other words, it's not, you know, gentrified crap. You know, it's a real pub. And Eric and I got there. We got there a little early. It was around six or seven. We were on the, one of the only few people there. There was a couple other tourists there as well at this time. And we hung out the far right end of the downstairs bar. Come to find out I was actually sitting on a stool reserved for a patron who had since passed away. Uh, and once I saw that, I, I was, you know, very, very eager to move. Uh, one over just to pay my re respects to that person too. But, uh, but the bartender, he was a, uh, you know, an Irishman with long, dark hair that made fun of us for discussing how many steps we each had attained on our Fitbit. I believe that day, since we had actually gone golfing that morning, we were at about 20,000 that day. Uh, he also made fun of me for my pronunciation of Smittix. Um, I drank that a long time ago and had just forgot that it had a, uh, particular pronunciation because based off the way it's spelled you here in the u.s we would pronounce it smithwicks you know and that's not a that's not a uh, a beer that's drank a whole bunch down here in the south especially uh, but we sat there we had a few drinks and um but the place it's really still not gotten very busy and my buddy eric he brought up the idea of maybe going somewhere else but there was just something about this place i i, I just sensed that you know, we, we were still there just a little too early and people were going to filter in and, and, and really sort of have, you know, a, a really good time. And I'm glad we did um, because had we left, we would have missed out on something so amazingly special. Because um, shortly thereafter, more locals came in, tourists came in. Uh, heck, one guy even came into the pub with a sheepdog, which, you know, proceeded to walk table to table in order to get as much uh, affection and, and petting as possible. Uh, but then we heard the announcement that the music would be starting shortly upstairs, and we had not gone upstairs by this point either. Eric went ahead, and he went up there and got us seats right at the edge of the bar. We had the best view of the band, and we were in extremely close proximity to the taps, so we didn't have to get up from our table and walk or anything like that. And uh, and even throughout the night, one of the singers uh, and guitarists came up and chatted us up between sets and asked us where we were from and talked to us about his travels throughout the U.S., which... At this time, I was living in um, I was living in West Memphis, Arkansas. So he he actually even chatted us up about you know some of his experiences of driving through that part of the U.S. Um, but after that, he got back to playing, and uh, that week the city had had a Scottish bagpipe band come in to play uh, for the Galway Sessions Festival, and this is a festival that it sort of commemorates uh, this was right around the time of the anniversary of the Easter uprising, which, you know, feel free to look more into that if you want more information. But, um, but some of the people who died during that were musicians. So this is a festival sort of, you know, just for them. And, um, but they had came into the pub, the Scottish bagpipe band and, and the band that was playing at the crane bar noticed them immediately and asked them to actually go get their instruments and come back and sort of join up and have a little session together. And uh, I have videos of this that, that my buddy Eric took, and it was really, really amazing listening to Irish traditional music merged with Scottish tra tra traditional music because even though there are similarities just due to proximity, there's a lot of differences too. Like, for example, you know, Scottish bagpipes and Irish bagpipes, they, 
they each have their own version, but they're completely different. You know, the Scottish, they, they, um, they blow into theirs consistently, whereas, you know, the Irish, they actually don't have to blow into theirs. They just have to manipulate it with their arms to keep it going, you know. Um, but that bar, you know, for the rest of our trip, all we did was talk about just how amazing that place was and how much fun we had. And the people that live in Galway and live on the Western coast, you know, they, they have to live in not the best weather and some pretty rough terrain. And so the people have sort of grow up having a great personality because you're either going to live in that environment and be pissed off and mean all the time, or you're going to live in that environment and have a pretty damn good sense of humor. And Every single bartender we talked to and the majority of locals we talked to were just outstanding people and we just had a blast. So after our experience in Galway, we really didn't think Dublin could compare and lo and behold, the Irish hospitality again was mighty. We, uh, we ended up spending four days in the Dublin area and I was able to find this two-story flat overlooking the sea in uh in hoth uh which is this little peninsula just pretty much on the the eastern side of dublin it's just there on the coastline and it was too good to pass up uh for those of you that have never heard of oath uh, it is a picturesque little peninsula um, and as the airbnb host put it most people go on vacation on a spot like this but we get to live here uh, and their apartment was outstanding we woke up every morning and went to bed every night being able to overlook the uh, the sea there and see actually a few little islands right off the coastline too. And uh, the apartment, two stories, uh, you know, two bedrooms, or that, there may have actually been three. Um, I think there was just two though. Uh, but uh, anyway, the apartment was stocked. We had food, we had drinks, we had alcohol at our disposal. Um, the owners actually lived on the back side of it. And so if we had any issues, you know, they could have very, very easily, you know, helped us out. But first off, the family that owned it, they were just absolutely amazing. Uh, the sister of the owner, Sean, um, um, the sister of Sean, she actually met us at the train station and convinced us to let her um, give us a ride. Uh, we were actually going to walk, you know, it probably, again, probably would have been an hour, two hour walk. And, um, but she pretty much forced us to give to to let us give her a ride, and she had a small little uh, little hatchback vehicle, you know, nothing super super big, and uh, she drove us around uh, the little city and took us up to the flat, and you know, and uh, and our flat was pretty much on the top of the hill, and we started at the bottom, and so I was very very th uh, thankful for her for doing that, and she she actually let us drop off our things at the apartment, and then on top of that, took us back down to uh, near where the train station was to the pier. And so the pier is where all, all the restaurants are and a lot of the shops and, uh, and took us to their more casual restaurant, which they have several, but all of them have very, very good sort of wordplay. So their more formal restaurant is called the Oar House, O-A-R, all right? Uh, just like an oar you use in a boat. And then the one she took us to, playing words from James Bond, it's called Octopussy. Uh -huh. So just like the James Bond film. And so uh, um, this restaurant, obviously, you know, being on the coast, they're going to specialize in seafood pretty much at all of them. But this one specializes in seafood with sort of a tapas flair, you know. For those of y'all that haven't had Spanish tapas, it's sort of like, you know, smaller portions, appetizers, all of that. And, um, and even though the weather in Galway was horrible, 
besides one day, our weather in Dublin was outstanding. And so on this day, just like most people were in the area, we were outside. So we sat outside and, um, um, and talked to Sean a little bit and introduced ourselves and everything else and enjoyed the weather. And then we were able to sit down and, and have some food. And the food was absolutely delicious. And so uh, I'm not a big seafood guy, so I just settled for the fish and chips. Uh, and then me and my buddy, we shared a chorizo and potato side dish, which was excellent also. Um, and then uh, we had plans to actually go eat at the more upscale restaurant, the Ore House. Uh, and Sean had actually given us a gift certificate to go there, but we just, with everything we had and wanted to do in the Dublin area, we just ran out of time and didn't have enough time to go visit. But Sean, the owner, extremely generous. Uh, you know, I talked about this in a previous segment. He invited us to a company going away party slash anniversary that night or that afternoon, actually at the Summit Inn. So the Summit Inn was the pub closest to where we were staying. Uh, and it was on the top of the hill, pretty much. And so after we finished and, um, and ate at Octopussy and had a couple drinks there, we went um, just a little bit down the, the street to another one of the big pubs there. At the time, World Cup qualifying was going on. Um, so we were able to sit there and watch a game. And I, uh, the place was called Wright's Finlander, or F- or find later, whatever it was. So, so it's so it's rights W R I G H T S and then F I N D L A T E R. Uh, I, I want to say they pronounce it Finlater. So anyway, we sat there, relaxed, had a few pints, and then they actually came and picked us up for the party. Now they didn't just pick us up in, in a car because there was a lot of people waiting there too, but they actually picked us up in pretty much a. It's almost like a train you'd see at a zoo for kids that would take them around the zoo and sort of show them the sights. It was a little, it was a little weird, but uh, but we were part of a party of probably you know fifteen twenty people that were also riding up, and so me and Eric sat on the very very back little segment of, of carts and got to see a little bit more of the uh, of the peninsula there as we're going up to the to the party. And so the party it was actually held out back of the pub, and I tell you what. <laughs> They plied us with beer and food. Uh, not that we put up much of a fight, though. Uh, mussels and burgers were on the menu, and um, and and there we just you know mingled with the family and friends and hung out, and, uh, and and that's where we found out that some of the people that were on our Ryanair flight from Barcelona because they had just gotten back from holiday. Um, that's when we find out that they were on our same flight and we chatted them up and I guess we were pretty obvious to pick out because we were, uh, we were the, the two Americans who were loud and, and, uh, drinking and, and just having a good old time. So from there, we, uh, we hit it up the summit in several more times for food and, and pints the rest of our trip. We were not disappointed in any meal that we had there either for, you know, for what the common American thinks of, of British food, you know, and I've had food in, in England, I've had food in Scotland, you know, English food, I'm not as much a big a fan of, but Irish food, I, I really haven't had a bad meal, period. But, uh, but we ate there at the Summit Inn all the time, and uh, Eric, he actually himself had some of the best chicken wings he's ever had in his life there, and he's a chicken wing aficionado, big time. Uh, but then we used this little you know, town of, of uh, Ahoth as a base for our travels into and around Dublin. Um, unfortunately, we, we really only spent one actual day in Dublin sightseeing. 
uh, due to us golfing two times in the four days that we had in the area. And I know Eric especially, you know, he wanted to spend more time, but with, you know, how much we wanted to get the use of our golf clubs, you know, it just worked out this way. So, um, but even though we only spent one day in Dublin, we made it worth our while. In one long day alone, we went to the Guinness Storehouse, we went to the Jameson Distillery, we went to the um, High Penny Bridge over the River Liffey, we went to the Temple Bar District, we went to the Temple Bar, and we went to an awesome, awesome bar. It's a little bit more of a local bar there in the Temple Bar District, the Palace Bar. Um, as well as, on top of all that, uh, amongst walking and, and taking trains and whatever else, we stopped and had some Donner Kebabs for lunch. But, uh, but the Palace Bar, by far the best that we went into in Dublin. You know, everybody wants to go in the Temple Bar just to say that they've been there just because it, it does have such notoriety. But, uh, but the Palace Bar, we went upstairs. So the lower level, you know, had a few patrons. The upstairs, uh, we decided to check it out, see, you know, see how it is. And we ended up sitting there and we were just us two with our own barkeeper. And there was, you know, I mean, there was nobody else. There was just one bartender and us. And he gave us an experience, you know, and really gave us a very interesting lesson on the history of the bar as well as the history of Irish whiskey and sort of took us through some 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 styles that we may like based off our personal preferences. And um, and that's actually where he he introduced me to a whiskey that we hadn't tried yet called Connemara. And it's one of the only peated or smoked whiskeys at that time in Ireland. And that's actually the the type of whiskey that I brought back with me from the trip. Um, now, for our golfing, we hit up two golf courses. We hit up one that was actually on the peninsula of Oth uh, called Deer Park Golf Club. And very, very beautiful parkland course. Uh, we did have a couple of views of the coastline. Uh, but for the most part, you know, we were, you know, we were in the mainland, you know, surrounded by trees and whatever else. Uh, interesting little fact about that course is they also had a uh, foot golf course. And this is something that's picking up some traction here in the U.S. It is soccer golf. That's probably the best way to put it. Instead of hitting the ball with a club, you actually kick a ball, and they have a hole that would fit a soccer ball. And so there was actually several people out there doing that. Uh, but we also got to play our only true Lynx course, and that was Corbalis Lynx Golf Club. Um, and this is one, you know, there's a 50 or so Lynx courses, true Lynx courses throughout Ireland. And even though we enjoyed it and it was a great course, I think it's ranked like 46, 47th out of all of them. So it's, it's, it's not one of the upper echelon ones by any means. Um, but Deer Park played it, you know, had some terrain and elevation change. Um, you know, really, really cool. They also, and I'd even forgotten about this, they also had hurling golf. Hurling is a big Irish sport where they use these uh, almost like field hockey mixed with baseball bat type, uh, type bats. And they actually can scoop the ball up off the ground and hit it. Well, they have a, a sort of mingled version with golf called hurling golf. Um, now, Corbalis, though, the Lynx course was a perfect trip to sort of, or the, a perfect course to end our trip on. It's about a 45-minute to an hour trek north of, uh, of Oath by train, and then another two-mile or so walk to the clubhouse. We began walking to the course, and again, you know, not the best weather. It was very, very overcast, so we knew this was probably going to be our day that we were going to get soaked in, in the Dublin area. But uh, as we were doing this two-mile walk, you know, and just sort of starting out, this random lady pulls over, you know, drives up to us and just implored us, please, please let me drive you to the course, um, do the distance and also do the weather. And, and I can't overstate how nice and hospitable 
you know, people were throughout an entire trip. You know, there, there's example after example of people sort of going out of their way to help us and make us feel welcome. So, um, but this book, or sorry, this course I read about in the book I discussed uh, previously, uh, Coin's book, and he had played this course, and it was one that, that sounded interesting. It sounded like one that most, most American tourists probably aren't going to go to. And, um, and the other aspect of it was this was a Lynx course that wasn't going to cost us 100 euros just to play 18 holes. And so uh, let me tell you, if you were to play a Lynx course regularly, you would have no choice but to learn the game because on a Lynx course, the terrain is so difficult to play through. And on this course, probably probably nine to twelve of their holes were you know true traditional links holes that you know backed up uh, to the coastline there. But we learned very very early on that um, links courses were are so much more unforgiving. You know having fairways at times that are you know eight to ten yards wide. You know and if you hit it off the fairway into the rough, it's not it's not the traditional U.S. rough where it's sort of you know uh, several several different le levels of, of grass getting higher and higher. Now, this is grass that is going to go from, you know, fairway grass that is minute to then, you know, gorse and uh, stickers and everything else that's going to be two, three, four feet high easily. So finding balls is, uh, is very, very, very difficult. Uh, but it was incredibly fun. And even the often and sudden downpours couldn't dampen just how much enjoyment we were getting out. Uh, of this course, you know, being able to tee off and, you know, and, and smell and taste the, uh, the waves as they hit the beach behind us was, you know, moments like that you can't, you can't manufacture and can't replace or, or my buddy Eric ending up in a bunker that was, you know, four or five, you know, feet deep and him trying to hit out of it. Uh, but I am pleased also to say Eric though, he got his Irish birdie on this course. Um, none of us really shot super, super well in Deer Park. And I think it was cause we were just exhausted. Uh, but at Corbalis on the very last hole, which is a par five, uh, he was able to birdie that. And so it was sort of the perfect way to end our guys trip, um, golfing wise. Uh, besides that, you know, other amazing things that happened is we were actually able to see Ireland play in advance, not in, not in the world cup at this time, but actually the Euro cup. And we were able to sit down at a pub just down from where we were staying and, and watch it with locals and, uh, and it was one of the more memorable moments, so.